Hello and welcome to Leviathan News. Today is September 7th and we have special guests. We have the Stroom Network team who is here to talk about LSDs on Bitcoin. So we have Slava and Ross who are here to kind of give us a refresh on Lightning because myself and DeFi Advisor were talking about it last week. Uh, and I think a lot of people that are in the DeFi space right now probably may have never done a Lightning transaction or run a Lightning node or maybe had not done anything with Bitcoin other than maybe buy WBTC for the longest time. And here we finally have an entrant into the Ethereum space for LSDs on Bitcoin. So welcome, Slava Ross. Hey, hey, nice to be here. So maybe you could give for our viewers at home that may not be as acquainted with Lightning Network and uh, how it sits on top of Bitcoin and how the channels work. Maybe you can go in a little into depth about like what the Lightning Network is and kind of, you know, what you are building with with Stroom. Uh, yeah, sure, sure. So Lightning Network is a most promising scaling solution for Bitcoin blockchain. It is a layer two, but it does not look like any traditional layer two that you are accustomed to on Ethereum ecosystem like ZK Rollups or Polygon or whatever. Uh, so it is actually not a blockchain at all. It's a network of payment channels and every payment channel is sitting on Bitcoin blockchain. It's actually two of two multi-signature address. And one signature is controlled by one party of the channel and another signature controlled by the other party of the channel. So basically channel, it's a, it's more small dash of Bitcoins that is controlled by two parties. And inside the channel, you have kind of like balance distribution and you can transact within that balance uh, indefinitely and as many transactions as you want. And all of that is done uh, off chain. And so no transaction fee and it's really super cheap and super, super fast. And it seems that in order to transact with someone, you need to have a payment channel, but actually you can send transaction across uh, across several channels, uh, which makes Lightning really uh, uh, scalable because you, you don't need to open like so many channels. You just need to find a path to the destination and uh, you send the transaction along that path and all intermediary nodes collect some small portion of fee based on that transaction. And that's actually how you can earn in Lightning Network. If you provide liquidity as a routing node, so you route transactions for others, then you, you really can earn up to like two or 3% APY. Yeah, the way that I think about Lightning is almost like a, you guys remember like an abacus where you can like slide the little uh, pieces back and forth, right? But you can never take them off the rail. And that's essentially how the payment channels work. You open up a payment channel with somebody else and you can <clears throat> like almost instantaneously and super fast send those Bitcoin back and forth between you and the other person at the end of that channel, uh, but they never get taken off. So if you want to uh, actually have a, if you, if you want to have like a well-functioning network, you have to connect to as many channels as possible or at least like the best performing ones. And so that way, like if you get all of your liquidity on one side and you need to rebalance, you can use the other challenge uh, channels to rebalance out of there and make sure that you have liquidity to send back and forth. Uh, and it's really cool, actually, uh, if you have a Bitcoin enabled uh, lightning wallet. So uh, Cash App has one uh, that's being that's Jack Dorsey's company. Uh, you can make lightning transactions from there. And it's pretty cool, actually, to, to make a lightning transaction to see how fast it goes. And then additionally to that, you, you usually only pay like somewhere between like one, two, three sats for it, which is incredibly small. It's such a small and fast uh, transaction that uh, it, it really would work at scale for, for payments. And that's what it was designed for. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. And the beauty of Lightning, uh, like th what I like about Lightning Network the most, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's the horizontal scalability. So the more nodes we have in the network, the more scalable it is. Mm -hmm. So if we have like million of nodes, that means that we, the network can process like hundreds of million transactions per second, which is like insane. Yeah. 
and it's not for the the lightning network is not for sending like billions of dollars it's for sending i don't know up to like a half a btc for i don't know a few thousand dollars ten thousand dollars uh you know like all this is a uh, great way to actually have payments that use bitcoin and this is what uh, some of the providers like strike and others have been have been building out for actual like retail payment usage what i what i found most interesting when i started reading about you guys is just the amount of yield that you can earn running a, a bitcoin lightning channel and this was actually really surprising for me because for the longest time i thought it was like a half a percent maybe one percent yields for for running a lightning uh network or even less for running the nodes but recently i saw a uh website called assume or uh, it was it's one it's somebody that tracks like lightning network yields and he was say, he was showing that upwards of five to six percent APY can be achieved by having a, a top performing uh, Lightning Network channel, which is really mind blowing because you know five percent yield is what ETH is making uh, for for staking. So in in theory, that that should give that should really bring a lot of capital into the system to start uh, running more of these Lightning channels, especially if you can get a, a five percent native yield in Bitcoin. Yeah, true. Um, we know that confirmed case, uh, one of our friends from uh, the team who is close to uh, development of the Lightning Network protocol, he is able to achieve like 5% EPR, EPOI in the 2022 last year. Uh, yeah, and it's, it's really fascinating. And, and I think it comes from the uh, capital utilization. So basically, you you can have small amount of capital, but you turn over it um, like 100 times per year, and uh, collecting 0.1 fee, for example, each time. So it can give you like 10% APR. Yeah, but of course, it's uh, um, like 100 times turnover. It's quite big, so it's probably smaller or fees are slightly lower. So, but yeah, five percent is really uh, achievable. I Sam, you are muted. Sorry, I'm muted. Yeah, so the website was called Amboss, and just to bring up a screenshot that they have on Twitter, I don't actually have their pro. You need to sign up for their pro version, but here's some APR graphs that they have, and you can see that on average, it's roughly even if it's like three percent on average for AP APRs. Uh, that's that's pretty incredible, uh, especially it should provide a lot more incentive to run these these lightning nodes. And uh, that's why we've seen in the last year or 18 months or so that the uh, lightning network has has really grown. It, it, the uh, TVL jumped up from uh, 1000 BTC where it was up to uh, 4741 BTC now. So inflows into lightning have been uh, quite significant over the last 18 months. So here's the uh, here's the Lightning TVL chart. So it, this probably will uh, be capitalized even more as more and more people open up channels and they see that they can earn uh, the yields that they have. Sorry, it's a little bit small. Let me see if I can make it a little bit bigger. Uh, but yeah, here's the chart on the left-hand side. It peaked, actually, Lightning Network uh, TVL peaked at 5,620 BTC, uh, and it's come down a little bit to 4,744. Uh, but with a, an addition of a LSD like you guys are building, uh, that hopefully could bring a lot more TVL into the system. Yeah, hopefully. Um, the problem with Lightning Network is that it's really... Um, hard to manage the Lightning Network node because you need to think about many things like where should I open the channel with and uh, what the level of fee should I set up and how actually do rebalancing. So that's all, all of that is uh, are super technical questions that um, in order to do that like wisely, you need to have some technical expertise. Not all of people have that. And uh, so here we, uh, that, that's how we decided to start our project because we 
we kind of have this expertise and we can uh, um, like take bitcoins from people and uh, invest it in the Lightning Network channels and produce yield for them and then return it back to users. Uh, the, the only question was if we can do it in trustless way. Um, yeah, and uh, so we originally did a little bit of research, uh, figure out the way how to do it in a, um, like almost trustless way. And yeah, that's how Stroom uh, so appeared. I think, there's, I think there's two points here. And the first is the uh, channel management, like you talked about. So choosing what channels to establish and how to rebalance and liquidity management there. And then additionally, uh, how to uh, trustlessly get the Bitcoin in the first place into your channels. And then I guess the third one would be is like, how do you have a, a distributed organization like a DAO setup manage those channels in a way which uh, shows has transparency and, and uh, trustlessness to it? So maybe we could start with the first one uh, talking about how you guys have been able to uh, like get to the point where you feel comfortable uh, managing these channels and uh, having a sufficient performance to be able to uh, open this up to the broader market? Uh, so it basically boils down to the data analysis and uh, uh, some like statistics stuff. So we uh, analyze the network. Uh, we collect all the possible metrics that we can uh, think of and uh, try to understand where is the most, um, how to say, where is the most, uh, uh, where is the liquidity is needed the most, like the thin place in the network where there is a huge amount of transactions, but the capacity of channels is small. So we determine these places and then open the channel uh, from basically from one cluster of the network to another and start routing the transa transaction between these clusters. Um, yeah, and then there is another thing that is related to fee management. Um, so you need to understand what's the appropriate level of fee you need to set up in the channel because if you set up it too high, that flow will not go. But if you set up it too small, then you will. Um, uh, receive a small amount of fees, but you like uh, utilization of capital is still the cost. You you pay that cost, like and uh, yeah. So that also like uh, data analysis exercise. So you need you you basically analyze all the traffic that goes through your node. You also analyze your uh, like. Uh, uh, <clears throat> Uh, I forgot the word. <laughs> uh, yeah, sorry, I'm not a like a native speaker in. English, oh, it's fine. So... No, don't worry about it. Um, I think the maybe, yeah, yeah. Maybe yeah. maybe you can address the uh, the second point of the question, which is uh, like how will you guys receive the Bitcoin to these stream channels? Will it just be from native Bitcoin, or will you accept like ERC20s, like WBTC? and then swap them out for, for native Bitcoin or like other variants like TBTC? Is it going to be like a, a bi-directional uh, deposit and withdrawal system or will it just be for uh, native Bitcoin? Yeah, let me answer this question. Yeah, so like uh, generally, of course, like we need the original Bitcoins to put it to the Latin network channels. But uh, like uh, I think the first market we are targeting on is uh, WBTC. Because like uh, it's like uh, the users who already want to move their Bitcoin to define-able chains and use it as a liquidity, and uh, but at the moment the original Bitcoin is just like a stored on some uh, cold storages and like uh, not generate any yield yields, and uh, even like uh, the users pay fees for the bridging. Yeah, and uh, so like uh, uh, we will have uh, the like a uh, original way to. Bitcoin just like from the Bitcoin wallet but also we plan to like have some uh, it will be fully on the Ethereum side just like some uh, pool for the WBTC holders who can swap their WBTC to LNBTC and then uh, we redeem the WBTC to the original Bitcoin and use it in the Latin network channels. Nice. 
And then uh, the third question was about uh, like who can run the channels? Is it anybody is able to run these channels or is it like a whitelisted set of operators? Uh, yeah, so we can say that uh, we, we run Node and uh, Node can open like a, a lot of channels. Yeah, so the node uh, control all open channel. And uh, yeah, and uh, speaking about, uh, like at the moment we plan to use uh, only one node, but uh, like in uh, our MVP version, but uh, later we plan like uh, to make uh, some kind of market of liquidity, just like uh, to provide this liquidity to other nodes uh, who want like uh, to route transactions and uh, know how to do it and just like uh, they can uh, take they will be able to take uh, this liquidity from the stream and uh, like uh, use it in the lightning network and just like uh, to have some uh, also fee of the rewards so there will be so in the beginning there's just uh, one node which would be operated and then anybody can connect their channels into you is that is that correct yeah, correct. Okay. And then we had a question from uh, Flackworth that kind of builds on this, which is how will slashing be handled in Stroom, for example, when an accidental node, accidental node downtime or unilateral channel closure happens? Is there a concept of buffer reserve, et cetera? Yeah, it's a very good question. Um, so we are currently working on the <clears throat> slashing conditions, um, but at least in MVP version, since we will have only one node that will be run by us. Uh, so we will not have that. So it's uh, really uh, like tricky to come up with some good scheme since we cannot, uh, we cannot like ask these nodes to have a lot of capital to be locked for slashing because then the system will become capital inefficient. Um, so like at first we will do it by ourselves and could try to have our node uptime as much as possible, of course. Later we will do the KYC uh, for node operators. So uh, at that stage we will have like 10 to 20 nodes uh, and we will know them well. So we still have like off-chain uh, control of, of the quality of the service that they provide. And later, maybe in a year or, a, uh, or two years, we will come up with uh, some slashes conditions and uh, that will be managed purely by the tokenomics. So is there like an eject function? So let's say you have a, in this, in this system where someone else is, is running a, a node, uh, is there like an eject function where if they're acting maliciously or they go down or something that the stream network would be able to essentially slash them and recall their Bitcoin that they have in liquidity channels? Um, so the Stroom network will be able to like uh, take all Bitcoins, all the liquidity that were provided to that node back to the Stroom treasury or back to the Stroom, that's for sure. But if the node doesn't have any own liquidity, then yeah, we, 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 we could not slash them. So that's an open question. If we need to require the node to, to, to put something uh, in order to be slashable. That's cool. And how far are you guys along in the product timeline? Um, so we're currently building MVP and we plan to finish our development by the middle of November. And then that's the date when we will be releasing the uh, public testnet and start our audits and hopefully it will take like one two months so we will be ready to launch the mvp version to the mainnet uh by the end of the year that's very cool and <clears throat> i asked this in the chat but uh with the upcoming edition of of taro uh, at some point uh, they'll be adding stable coins into the mix as well too uh, which might also be another like stable coins on BTC Lightning earning yield as well, uh, which could offer, uh, offer some other interesting opportunities. Uh, I'm personally very excited about the Taro asset uh, Taproot Asset Protocol. Uh, yeah, and the stable coins in Lightning Network. It's really great that it will be compatible with Lightning Network right away. Uh, yeah, so definitely we will uh, uh, we will have the 
stablecoin version of the liquid staked, uh, like stablecoin staked in Lightning Network. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty cool. I think that 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 could provide some interesting growth for, for Lightning, right? Because it's probably much easier to acquire stablecoins that can come in and add another $100 million of liquidity into Lightning. Uh, and then also people can settle in in dollars as well too, uh, so I'm I'm very excited for that addition. Um, yeah, so like when it comes to uh, like stable or these like stable coins, whether they're for Bitcoin or for Ethereum or anything else, uh, really it's about integrations. And uh, have you guys started to do any sort of like business development work to reach out and contact any providers? Uh, to talk about having uh, to be like either getting like chain link oracles uh, set up in the future or getting added to money markets uh, or any other DeFi protocols. Yeah, so like we have uh, like a lot of uh, directions in these integrations. So first of all, like we need to be integrated to the DeFi protocols. And like here also we have a strategic partner, Anchor and like a agreement with them that uh, they will integrate uh, our token to projects from their portfolio. And uh, also like uh, we are speaking currently with uh, possible liquidity providers at the beginning, because like it uh, looks like, uh, like uh, firstly we need to get some, like uh, some TVL, just like uh, to have a uh, TVL and trading volume, then after that will be easier to get, like uh, to make a chain link oracle. And like uh, after that will be super easier just like uh, to get more, uh, uh, to get more, uh, uh, more integrations with DeFi protocols. Yeah. yeah. And how did the, fundraising process go? I mean, you guys are the first year kind to issue a Bitcoin LSD on Lightning. Uh, yeah, yeah. It, it's a, it was a pretty like a long way because like we started to raise uh, somewhere on September and uh, and before that uh, it was like a Luna crash and Celsius. And, oh, last uh, year. Oh, you were raising last year. Wow. Just like, yeah, we started like uh, to think about the race and prepare the first uh, like a documents because like, we are mm -hmm. first time founders with Slava. And uh, yeah, and after that, like uh, crypto markets also went down and, uh, but we like uh, signed the first uh, check in December. Yeah, last year from Anchor, like uh, on the bottom of the price of Bitcoin. Yeah, and uh, after that, uh, like I uh, started to sign uh, another uh, investors. Yeah, but uh, when we started the, like the LST narrative was not so popular that now. Yeah, and like a lot of people just asked what is the liquid staking and so on. Yeah, but <laughs> but uh, <laughs> like uh, with this time it uh, became better and better because like now like uh, all people know what is it. Yeah, and has there been any, like I'm, I'm sure in the Ethereum community it's going to be positive to see this, this LSD put out, but uh, how is this gone down in uh, other Bitcoin circles, like when you uh, speak with people who maybe don't interact with Ethereum at all or any other L1s? Uh, yeah, it's uh, of course like uh, our like, I think the first target for liquidity uh, is uh, WBTC holders mm -hmm. yeah, because like it's more clear for them. And uh, yeah, because like uh, for uh, Bitcoin maxis, uh, it's not uh, like a uh, super transparent and uh, a lot of them like uh, don't know what is going on on DeFi ecosystem because like uh, they call uh, any uh, coins. Uh, yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, yeah it's on board. <laughs> yeah, and uh, yeah, but uh, some of Bitcoin maxis thing that we want to like uh, transfer Bitcoin value to other chains, but like our main uh, like goal just like uh, to grow the Bitcoin ecosystem and uh, like uh, and come back these Bitcoins uh, from WBTC to the Bitcoin Lightning Network. Yeah, I think it's really exciting, and it's it's for all the LSD projects that have come out uh, because we've seen many 
on Ethereum in the past six months that have tried to run with different flavors of, of LSDs. Uh, this is probably the most interesting and novel one that I've seen because it's it's addressing a completely new market that nobody's been able to crack yet. And hopefully on the back end, it brings a lot more liquidity into Lightning uh, in the future. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because uh, when we see like the, on the Lightning capacity, capacity means like a TVL, the mm -hmm. Lightning, it's about like a 150 mil. And uh, like a WBTC market cap is around four billions or yeah. <laughs> even bigger. Yeah. So like uh, the difference, like around uh, I don't know, like a thirtyfold or fortyfold. Yeah. And uh, yeah. So, so like uh, we see the big potential here, and because uh, like uh, we can uh, just like a double the liquidity. The so what happens though? I mean, like let's say you get a billion or a hundred million dollars worth of inflows of Bitcoin into Stroom and you like double the TVL size of Lightning. Um, yeah. What what happens to like, are, are the yields just compressed then or does this like help Lightning Network expand even more and take on even more uh, traffic and payments and everything else? Like is, yeah, is, yeah go ahead. Yeah, I think like the bot, because like obviously the APY will be lower because like mm -hmm. uh, more liquidity, uh, because like APY is just like a tr uh, transfer transaction volume times fee, yeah, and divided to the TVL. And, uh, but of course, uh, the Lightning Network will be more robuster and like uh, some uh, applications will work better because like it's more liquidity and uh, a more success rate of the transactions and so on. Yeah, so we think that it will be like a very good for the network. That's very cool. Well, that's really nice to hear. I'm I'm glad you guys are building this, and I hope that it's one of the big drivers for like more way more attention coming from Ethereum to Lightning Network, which is needed because I I, I do like Lightning Network at the end of the day. Like if you ever if you've ever like used it, it works great. It's instant, it's fast, it's cheap. <clears throat> and this project, Stroom, bringing in more TVL, bringing in more liquidity into uh, Lightning Network that can help set up new channels and uh, also create the ability to have like a tokenized asset that you can use in Ethereum uh, to either like borrow against or, or gain access to liquidity to is, is pretty cool. It's, it's very very cool so really excited to see how you guys play out over the next few months uh, i know you guys will be going to beta soon and have the mvp out we'll be looking forward to that thank you thank you yeah uh so if you guys want to hang on and talk about news you can uh, otherwise uh thanks for coming on um Some yeah exciting stuff by the way definitely yeah. uh, a very novel idea like sam uh, said me personally, I'm not very much into uh, Bitcoin, but what you guys are uh, doing here and the angle that you all seem to be taking is uh, quite interesting, I must say. Respect for that. Cool, cool. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Super excited. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. Uh, in... Yep. Uh, yeah. So, uh, I, I think uh, we, we, we can hang on. Hang on. Oh, great. Uh, yeah. Awesome. Well, we got a bunch of news. Uh, so one thing that I, I'm actually really excited about uh, that we saw yesterday was, was that Socket.Tech announced a $5 million strategic investment from Coinbase Ventures, and it was led by Framework. So interestingly, Coinbase Ventures doesn't usually follow on these investments. They're usually the lead. Uh, but <clears throat> Socket.Tech has just been crushing it. And anybody that doesn't know them, they are a cross-chain uh, like swap aggregator so that you can literally move any asset from any EV cha EVM chain to other EVM chain. And it'll like, let's say you have USDC on Ethereum and you want to get, I don't know, uh, Tether on Optimism. Uh, it'll find the, the most optimal route to like swap your US USDC into USDT and then transfer it across the bridge as well too it's it's very cool so uh this is like a nice api set that can be built into any sort of project and 
It's going to enable uh, a large amount of liquidity, native routing, and and a bunch of other stuff uh, to come for cross-chain swaps. Very interesting. Definitely cool stuff. And, uh, you know, quite, uh, always interesting to see, like, uh, interesting VCs do actions. It's always interesting, you know? It's the mm-hmm. kind of VCs that personally, I think, are not in it for uh, just cash grabs, but uh, in it for, like, actual, uh, like, uh, you know, efficient tech and good infrastructure uh, for uh, exciting stuff that's being built. It's always nice to see. Yeah, and you know this this cross chain narrative stuff is going to be pretty big over the next over the next like year or two as all the infrastructure gets built out because it's not there yet, uh, but it's definitely coming. Uh, we also had another big news for ETH where uh, Ark Invest and Twenty One uh, Shares. Sorry, Sam. Sorry oh, yeah. for inter- interrupting you. Uh, we actually need to go to another call. Sorry. Oh yeah, no worries, guys. Thank you for coming on, Slava Ross, for being here. Uh, and also, thanks for everybody else for, for asking questions for the Stream community. Um, you can find them at Stream Network, Stream.network. And uh, also come join the uh, Telegram as well, too. So thanks, guys, for being here. Yeah, thank you. Thanks a lot. Right. Have a good day. Bye-bye. Bye. Uh, there's also a, like we were saying, a race that is going to be happening uh, for an Ethereum ETF. ARK Invest and 21 Shares have both filed proposals to get a spot Ethereum ETF. And they may actually get one with the Grayscale decision that ruled in favor of Grayscale and against the SEC just a few weeks ago. This is so big in my mind, Sam. You know, I think think it really is going to be quite the turning point. For uh, the for the new inflow of uh, actual uh, like big amounts of capital into the ecosystem, because right now you know everything is numb and everyone has this uh, PVP uh, atmosphere. And uh, if you're not really uh, very much interested interested into crypto and all the uh, new projects uh, that's uh, coming up, you really think that the industry is quite uh, you know irrelevant at uh, the moment. But for us, you know. Uh, <laughs> We feel the opposite way, and I really think that once these ETFs will uh, get, get approved, then, uh, like Raul Pal uh, once uh, I remember saying, like huge, enormous walls of money will start inflowing into the ecosystem because there's so much capital in my mind that's just waiting for, like uh, you know, this very uh, traditional way well, of institutional uh, capital. Ecosystem. We should say, yeah. 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 Exactly. Yeah. Because if you're running a large fund in like a billion dollar fund and you want to invest some money into Bitcoin, uh, the first thing that you're going to go do is like look for a regulated product. Like, is there something that's already SEC approved, that's already trading, that has already has due diligence, 10Ks, uh, all the things that you normally see with uh, existing stocks? Uh, if you're a billion dollar company and you're wondering, oh, hey, should I go buy some Coinbase on, or buy some Bitcoin on Coinbase or ETH on Coinbase? It becomes a bigger question because then your investment team has to go and do due diligence on that. They have to ensure that the custody is is safe uh, and also the accounting and everything else. And it's a whole process when if there was just a spot ETF, uh, you could just make that decision and invest that day. Right. It wouldn't it wouldn't really be a question of of the whole mechanics and operations of of deploying that capital. Uh, the product would just be there. Yeah. Exactly. And, uh, you know, this uh, that, that's exactly the point. These, yeah. these people need the, the smooth route for them to put their money into it. Uh, and that's a lot of money. That's not like the huge the no the, the amounts we've seen before are uh, very tiny in my opinion, compared to what we're actually going to see once, uh, you know, once institutional capital starts giving its uh, kosher signature for the industry. And uh, these kinds of ETFs, in my opinion, will play uh, a very important role. That's why I'm very interested in knowing, like, uh, how long do you think this process is going to take? Like, from uh, these rumors now till we actually have these ETFs? Well, I don't know about the Bitcoin one, but I would assume for that this... Ethereum ETF probably sometime next year. That's big, man. And also the Bitcoin halving should be uh, next year as well, I think. Or uh, 
yeah. anything else. Well, it's it's already priced in, guys, so I wouldn't even worry about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, everything is priced in for sure. <laughs> As always, <laughs> everything is priced. Uh, so there was also some other, let's see, other TradFi news. Uh, so Excelsior CEO's uh, Alex Mashinsky's assets were ordered frozen by a court as the DOJ case continues. His house and all of his funds were frozen uh, as the feds try to figure out where all the money went. Wow. And, you know, actually, he, Alex Mashinsky is from Israel. And I've, uh, I met a friend yesterday uh, who also is a bit connected to the blockchain uh, industry, like uh, kind of an entrepreneur within the industry. And uh, we also talked about this, uh, exactly this Mashinsky uh, and Celsius stuff. Man, what can I tell you? Uh, did we talk about Moshe? Did we talk about Did we talk about Moshe as well too? No, I don't think we. You mean Moshe Hogeg? Yeah, who no, I don't think way more of a serial scammer than I mean, like on the same level as Mashinsky, yeah, right? No, I, you know what? I don't know. I don't know if I understand uh, his case uh, well enough because I know a bit more about uh, the Mashinsky case, and that was. Uh, huge but it seems that uh, the Moshe Hogeg uh, case is quite huge I should uh, I should uh, dig up some stuff about it and uh, get back to you on it yeah I would, I, would, I would hope because you know he, he launched it always like... seemed something uh, small to me you know it always seemed like <laughs> something small and irrelevant and like whatever but I do remember that a few months ago like people actually like uh, like you know the the foreign like the, the the crypto media that I usually follow as different advisor already all of a sudden started talking about it because usually it would only be discussed in like uh, the Israeli circles, and I'm not that interested in it. So I thought it quite, uh, I thought it was quite small. But you know, this guy was uh, an important figure in Israel in a way because he he owned one of the biggest uh, football clubs. Yeah, because because he raised 157 million dollars in an ICO for a phone that never appeared back in yeah. 2017 and pocketed a lot of that cash. So in total, he raised $290 million and none of his projects ever went That's anywhere. Insane. And they kind of all faded off and went to zero. That and is insane. That he is ended insane. up... I'm pretty sure that I heard some other uh, stories, but I don't want to say something uh, like incorrect on the stream. Uh, but yeah, like uh, not, not looking good for these two uh, guys. But I think it's also important to say that uh, quite a lot of good innovation is also coming uh, from... Uh, from Israeli uh, developers as well. Yeah. For example, Starkware, if you're uh, aware of it. And, uh, I don't know. There's all kinds of stuff that are uh, less familiar and less uh, docs, but uh, a lot of good Israeli actors within uh, the space as well, of course. But these two, not that great. <laughs> not at all. <laughs> okay, so Justin Bieber has announced that he's launching a NFT collection where oh let's check this out so his song company is being tokenized there's 2000 editions $28 each and each nft earns 0.0005% royalties when company is streamed so let's talk about streaming income because it's not that much uh, you could get millions and millions hundreds of millions of of streams and probably get paid a couple of dollars so i don't think the yields are going to be like super high uh, <clears throat> um but we'll see <laughs> is this like officially a security for the for the rights of the song uh, no i don't think so he's selling that you can like <clears throat> so uh what is it called the rights to the song are not securities I don't think. But isn't it uh, something that you buy now in order to uh, get paid and all that uh, how we test uh, stuff? No, I don't think it's I don't think it's a security. I think it's like one of the exceptions uh, that to that, right? So just I just looked up how much money Spotify pays out. So it's about 0.005 cents per stream. And that means that if this song gets a billion streams, Justin will get around $5 million. And when we multiply that by the royalty figure, 
we get oh wait i think i need another two like 20 so if there's a billion streams the nfts are in 25 dollars i that doesn't make sense it doesn't make sense at all uh, yeah, we should get to the math of this uh, to be sure. Uh, but, uh, you know, I think it's mostly a promotion. You know, it's mostly about, uh, like, awareness and attracting a new audience for maybe future product uh, products that uh, Justin is uh, might be planning for stuff. Mm-hmm. I think it's just, uh, it's more of an instrument than uh, something that he really, like, uh, for sure. But, but I think that uh, we're going to see a lot of this stuff, like, people uh, trying to re-experiment different stuff with nfts from different uh, industries because you know the nft dreams like uh, it was sold to so many people you know uh, i've seen a lot of these uh, circles like between artists and stuff like that they the hype around the nfts and how it's going to change like a lot of their uh, in real life uh, stuff uh, was quite big in some of the circles that i've uh, witnessed and uh, you know all of a sudden it went from like a hundred to uh, zero uh, very quickly within a few uh, months but i think that uh, with time now we're gonna see all kinds of uh, re-experimenting of uh, different uh, people with different kind of stuff yeah and uh, we'll see well google is probably going to be one of the people that is allowing for more nft usage uh, they are going to be allowing advertising of NFT games if there's wow. no gambling or speculation or no gambling in it, uh, which is pretty big. I mean, one of the things wow. that Google has always been against is crypto. So the addition of NFT games using Google ad services, it's pretty big. That, that means that yeah. a lot more revenue and the games can actually grow because you need Google advertising to be able to uh, like get in front yes. of people. The amount of reach that uh, a lot of these games can now get, because a lot of them are like, you know, games that are heavily promoted with mm-hmm. uh, huge uh, promotion uh, budgets. So uh, I, I didn't even know that uh, this kind of stuff was banned by Google, that you couldn't uh, do it before. But uh, if it's now going to be opened, uh, like I'm pretty sure they're going to get some market share out of it. Out of yeah. It. Uh, there was also a privacy paper that was launched by Vitalik and Amin, as well as a couple of other people from Chainalysis, Jacob from Chainalysis, uh, talking about blockchain privacy and regulatory compliance towards a practical equilibrium. And this is in context of privacy pools, which was debuted by Amin back at ETH Denver. And privacy pools is essentially tornado cash, but you can say that you are not someone else so you, you can essentially say that this person is not a part of my uh like privacy set um so the main issue with tornado cash is that <clears throat> there's good actors a lot of good actors who just wanted to uh, shield their eth transactions and then there's also bad actors as well too and all it takes is a couple of bad actors to taint the entire pool and that shared security that everybody has inside those tornado cash pools uh, is is compromised and no longer able to use and under OFAC sanctions. Uh, but with privacy pools, which is a tornado cash fork that Amin put out, uh, now law-abiding good users can say that they are not the bad guys and they can actually prove it using ZK proofs. And it means that if some... North Korean comes along and deposits money into this privacy pool. Everyone that is a good actor can come in and say that, oh, hey, I'm not this person. And then their security set, that North Korean person, essentially goes to zero and it becomes much easier to track them. You can essentially see where the flow of funds go. This is amazing, man. Yeah. <clears throat> we should uh, try to get them in uh, on maybe to discuss this. Yeah. So the ability to exclude is is like seminal in the sense that you get to launch Tornado Cash or this privacy pools again and take money in and uh, add new compliance tools in that would allow for money to flow in and out and to have private transactions, uh, but also be compliant with OFAC sanctions. Is this already uh, operating? Yeah, no, Privacy Pools was was launched at East Denver. Nice. 
Yeah. Where, where is it uh, on? Like, uh, is it on uh, some one of the ZK uh, layers in order for this? Uh, no, 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 it's, a, it's an it's Ethereum based contract. Sounds quite uh, like remarkable. How, how, how big is the usage there? Can we get this? Uh, this I, I uh, think it's I think it's still small because people are still afraid of the tornado cash yeah. issues, but yeah. it does have the possibility of bringing a lot of TVL back. Yeah, for sure. Man. Uh, honestly, quite uh, curious about uh, how big the TV Elder uh, is and uh, know how fast it's uh, growing. Because, I, uh, you know, this kind of uh, thing can have a big inflow uh, also. Like uh, once people see that uh, this is a, a way that's better than Tornado Cash, <laughs> this is going to get some usage. Yeah. If, if so, you know, if this is actually the case. So I, I see that there's 48... Uh deposits well i'm on the privacy pools page but i do not see how i think there's like 48 total deposits so far so not a ton yet but you know if it does get picked up then uh, it could grow a lot but it, it's only allowing 0.001 eth transactions at the moment i think they're still in testing phase and they haven't really yeah. gone to like full production like allowing 100 eth in at a time yeah 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 and that's what i was uh, actually asking so well cool Wonder, um, like, privacy is also a huge narrative, man. Really? Yeah. Like, so, so many people will actually want the, their capital, uh, like, uh, under the table, especially as the years go by. And, you know, we're, we are going uh, probably into, at some point, a cashless uh, reality. And maybe not in uh, our lifetime, but uh, it seems reasonable that uh, more and more stuff uh, is going to be, uh, like, you know, digital. So we had a response from Gala Games about the situation, an official statement from them about the ongoing lawsuit between them and their, I guess, former CEO or founder, where the Gala Games community was informed of recent legal actions involving the company's founders. On August 31st, 2023, a derivative shareholder lawsuit was filed by Gala Games CEO Eric Scheimerer against uh, former co-founder Wright Thurston and True North United Investments, LLC. Uh, they claim that Wright Thurston subsequently, oh wait, sorry, uh, Wright Thurston subsequently filed a lawsuit against Eric Scheimerer uh, and uh, Gala emphasizes that these issues primarily concern the founders and don't substantially involve the company itself. And Gala Games is still building and yada, yada, yada. But it comes down to the claims of that Wright uh, took over $190 million worth of tokens. And uh, I don't know if he sold them or just misappropriated them. It's, it's all a big mess, really a big mess. Unfortunate for Gala Games. So, uh usual in a way you know we see we see this kind of stuff so much uh, people uh, like uh, being allocated a fortune uh, different uh, sizes and uh, whether they do malicious stuff with it or just uh, you know uh, not very wise uh, stuff with it like so so much money uh, actually got evaporated like that this past uh, two years or so mm -hmm. so schreier meyer reportedly siphoned $600 million from Gala Games for personal use. Uh, he was accused of borrowing heavily from Gala Games for personal gain. Uh, apparently, there was competitive conflicts, established rivalries in Switzerland and Dubai, lots of uh, like board issues, financial irresponsibilities. Uh, kind, of, kind of strange, right? Uh, maybe, maybe we should stop giving brand new companies, billions of dollars, billions and billions of dollars in market cap when they haven't really done anything. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, that's, uh, that, that's not a, a crypto related issue, you know? Uh, yeah. so, so, so many companies get such huge uh, fortunes uh, without doing much uh, before they get it because uh, that's the VC game which, uh, which seems to be a part of every uh, industry and market the more, I, uh, the, the more myself I'm see, like what I'm seeing uh, being a few years into uh, crypto because VCs are actually everywhere and they kind of want to create these bubbles like they, they, that's one of their strategies
so former FTX higher up executive Ryan Salame plans to plead guilty to criminal charges, joining others in Sam Bankman's freed inner circle who have done the same. Probably went to the feds and flipped is going to be providing information. So him also Alameda Research CEO Caroline Ellison, Gary Wang and Nishad Singh have all pleaded guilty over the last several months and probably most likely will be testifying at SPF's trial that is upcoming. And SPF's trial is slated to start in early October. Yeah. What a story uh, going to be. Uh, when do you think the movie about FTX will uh, come uh, the first movie about FTX when do you think uh, it's going to... I don't know <laughs> I don't think it's going to take that long I don't know you know who I feel bad for though is this dude who lost 24 million dollars in a phishing attack yesterday he wow. approved the wrong transaction for a phishing scam and the hackers were able to take 4,851 RE and 9,579 wow. Lido Staked ETH. What was the, the, the transaction? What, what did he try to he do? Just, he, had a malicious, he had a malicious link that he clicked on and uh, most likely authorized these transactions for these people to take the funds from his wallet. Yeah, but did they say a malicious link for what? Like what kind of link did he get? Like what, what was offered to him? What did, he, what did he think he was doing? No, I saw in Lobster Chat that they thought that it was for an eigenlayer uh, deposit. Wow. But it's unclear. We won't know Damn. because we can't see the front end. We can only see the, the transaction that was that was signed and executed. Man, that, is, that is brutal. I know. I know. <laughs> yeah. Well, we'll leave it on that note. I hope you guys enjoyed the Stroom interview. This guy's looked like a very interesting a project. Connection. Yeah, I like it a lot. It's cool. Um, and we'll be back tomorrow for the last show of the week, along with Garrett. Cool. All Good right. Day, guys. See you later, guys. Bye.